toward the end, I want to do something that I think will really be an encouragement and hopefully enlighten uh, some things toward the end of what I'm going to share this morning. We're going to bring these lamps up here, and I want to do a, a demonstration with the three lamps that I believe will help reveal more about the new creation and how uh, our mind is renewed. I mean, it's really, it's a cool thing that God showed me. It's a very simple thing, but people who have seen it said something clicked and they really saw for the first time um, what the new creation is really all about. So hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Last night, I started to share a few things about how Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is, is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is within reach. And we talked about how the word repentance has been misinterpreted in so many circles. And the word repent literally means change your mind. That's all. Just change your mind. And so when Jesus said, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is coming, or the kingdom of heaven is here, is what he was saying. Change your mind. He was saying to them who had in their mind that the kingdom of heaven was in the future because all the prophets talked about the kingdom of heaven coming. And they also had in their mind that they were probably not worthy of heaven or the kingdom of heaven, so it's not something that was within their reach. And it's probably something far in the future. And so Jesus came on the scene with this astounding message. Change your mind. Heaven is coming to you. Now that's the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't telling them stop sinning. There's, the word sin does not appear in the text. He didn't say repent of your sin. God is coming. He said change your mind about, really about God and about the kingdom of heaven because it's not, it's not coming like men think, Jesus said. Think about that. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. See, the, the Jewish people from the prophets, they knew from the prophets that God was going to bring judgment and cleanse the world of sin. And after judgment, the kingdom would be established on earth. The kingdom of heaven would be on earth. That's the prophetic word to the prophets. Judgment would come, and then the kingdom of heaven would come. What they didn't know is how judgment was going to come. They had no idea that the judgment would come on a cross. And that the kingdom would come in the spirit to all who would believe. See, it's awesome. Jesus said this, and I tell you, I'll tell you, I, never, I have never heard a message preached on this, even to this day. I have never heard a message preached on this, and this should be preached almost every Sunday. Jesus said, when he approached the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. Now the, the accuser will be cast out. Think about that, saints. When, when have you ever heard a message preached in church? When? That the cross is the judgment of the world. Have you ever heard that message? Ever? Think about that. This is awesome. This is an awesome message from Jesus. He's explaining to us 
what the cross is really all about. And, and I, I've never heard it preached. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. Though, see, that's, see, Lucifer had access to, to the heavens. And he, go, he could accuse us before God. In the days of Job, he did that. But when he said, now the prince of this world, Satan, is going to be cast out, what he was talking about is cast out of heaven because of the cleansing work of the blood of Christ. See, Paul says the blood of Christ cleansed both heaven and earth. The heavens had to be cleansed and the earth had to be cleansed because of Lucifer. God allowed the, the angelic rebellion to continue him, him access to the throne to accuse us. The Christ, the blood of Christ, actually was the judgment of God rolling over not only men, not only of this creation, but it was the judgment on the angels. But see, God does not save angels. He redeems the sons of Abraham. And so the judgment on the tree were not for, was not for the angels. And so there was nothing left for the fallen angels but judgment. So God cleansed the heavens and cleansed the earth with the work of Christ. This is huge. That's why the scripture says in Revelation 12 that the man child who was born was taken up into heaven and then there was war in heaven. The moment he was taken up into heaven, there was war in heaven and Michael was dispatched to take him out. And he took out Lucifer from the heavens. When the man child was ascended to the, when he ascended to the throne, the heavens were cleansed and Lucifer was cast down knowing his time was short. That's why saints, he hates you so much. Because what he wanted, he wanted the throne, and God gave it to you. You sit with him in heavenly places. That's why you have authority over him. That's why you have authority over him, because he was cast down, you were raised up. You are his, you are the sons and daughters of God. Paul, listen, listen, God, Jesus revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus, he says, I'm sending you forth to open the eyes of the blind, to open their eyes, to turn them from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance that is given to all those who are sanctified by faith in me. Awesome. The devil cannot condemn you anymore before the throne of God. He's not welcome there anymore. In fact, he's under your feet because you were ascended with the Christ and all things have been put under his feet and you are his body. So he is under your feet and he is on the earth roaming about angry, knowing his time is short and you sit in the heavens. That's the reality. I love how Jesus told Paul, the first thing he told Paul when he, when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, I'm sending you forth, Paul. And I love what Jesus said because he was sending him on a dangerous mission. And the first thing really Jesus said to Paul before he even told him anything, he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you as I send you forth. So the very first thing he, he calmed Paul's feelings of fear. He said, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm sending you forth, Paul, to open the eyes of the blind. That they may see. 
You see, every human being is born into this earth spiritually blind. When I say spiritually blind, I don't mean like you know, physically blind where you can't see anything, but spiritually blind refers to our understanding. Ephesians says that when we are, when we are born into this world, we are darkened in our understanding and alienated from the life of God. In other words, we, we need to be born again. So when you're born into this world as a natural human being, you are born blind like, like a kitten. Kittens are born blind. That's how we are. We are born spiritually blind. We walk around the earth until we're born of the spirit spiritually blind. Darkened in our understanding and alienated from the life of God. Meaning we don't have the life of God in us. So what happens, oh let me, let me share this with you. How did that happen? How do, how do we get spiritual blindness? We inherited spiritual blindness from our parents. And I'm talking about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve at one time was, they were not spiritually blind. Many people think the sin in the garden was that Adam and Eve were trying to become God. They were trying to become gods. And that's the big sin in the Garden of Eden. It's not true. That's not the big sin. God wanted them to be like him. In fact, he made them in his image. David said, I will rejoice when I awaken thy likeness. God wants us to be like him. So trying to be like God is not the big sin in the Garden of Eden. This is the big sin in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said to Eve if you ate of this tree of which God said don't eat because it will lead to death Satan said if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will know what he knows what God knows and you can be like him without him You don't need God to be like God if you just have the knowledge of right and wrong. Think about that, saints. The big deception, the big deception that you were born with, that's in your, even as a believer, it's in your flesh. The big deception of sin is that you don't need God. And that if you just had knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, you could pull it off. In other words, I don't need God to be like God. I just need to have some knowledge and I can be a good person. I can avoid the bad and do good and I can be a good person. That's the, that's the deception in, in the human race. That's the deception in the human race right now that I don't need God. I'm a good person. You know, I do. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I, my good outweighs my bad. And, you know, that kind of thinking. That's the, that's the blindness, the spiritual blindness in the human race. And so what God did in sending Jesus to us, he sent a light to open our eyes to the reality that you and I can never be like God without God. We can never be like God. We can never be perfect enough without God. We can never be good enough without God. And so 
One of the works of the law was to bring man to the end of himself. But one of the works of the law was as a tutor to lead us to Christ was to shut every mouth, Paul said. That every mouth that said, I'm pretty good, I, I do pretty good. The law was to shut every mouth that every man would be condemned in, their, in themselves, realizing I can never do this. And the humble will receive that and realize I cannot do this. And they can be ready to receive the good news that God did it for you. God has come and given you his own righteousness by what he did. An amazing, extraordinary work. So, anyway, so that's, that's how we got spiritual blindness. Because spiritual blindness, basically, the very first thing that happened when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very first thing that happened was their eyes were open. Notice the mention of eyes. Eyes were opened to their own nakedness. Now, the world says enlightenment is when you are aware of yourself. God calls that spiritual blindness. God calls enlightenment when you're aware of God. You see? So what happened? Adam and Eve fellowship with God in the garden and they, were, they just were focused on God. They didn't even know they were naked. They didn't even think, they didn't know they were naked. They just enjoyed God. They focused on God. The moment they ate of the deception that they can be like God without God, the deception took root in them and they then lost their focus on God and, the, and their focus turned to themselves. And now, for the first time, they noticed, hey, we're naked. Self-consciousness turned to themselves. And this is the deception that is in every human being. And only the light from Christ can reverse the spiritual blindness and bring light. Now, some people teach that we're spiritually dead as well as spiritually blind, and therefore we cannot hear or see or do anything because we're spiritually dead. That's not true. Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Pretty clear. The hour is coming and now is when the dead, the spiritually dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. In other words, Calvinism is wrong. Calvinism is, is a gross error to teach that you cannot hear because you're spiritually dead is not scriptural. Listen to the words of the Son of God again. The hour is coming and now is because He's on the earth that the, the dead, the spiritually dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. In other words, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved. He tasted death for every man. No limited atonement in the work of Christ. He tasted death for every man. Behold, he died not for our sins only, John says, but for the sins of the whole world. No limited atonement. This is how it works. The scripture says, if you, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. This is how it works. The scripture says that the enemy of this world has blinded the minds. Remember we talked about understanding, darkened in our, in our understanding. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That they may not see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. How do you remove the blindness? You believe. You simply believe. 
Listen, this is so awesome. His word is light. At the entrance of thy word cometh light. Light comes into the darkness. You can be spiritually dead like Lazarus. And his word goes forth and the dead can live. They will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Anybody can be saved. No matter how dark your darkness. In the entrance of thy word there is light. In thy light we shall see light. You only have to respond to the light. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. See it? You have a choice. You have a choice. The light comes into your darkness as one who is spiritually blind and spiritually dead. And you have a choice to believe or not to believe. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He calls you. It's awesome. And that's the only way the God of this world can blind the unbelieving. Because they're unbelieving. Because if you turn to the Christ and believe, you know, the world says, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus says, if you believe it, you'll see it. Jesus said, did I not say, if thou wouldst only believe, you would see the glory of God. You see it? If you would only believe, you would see the glory of God. When the word comes to you in your darkness as an unbeliever, the word of God's goodness, for it is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. It is the goodness of God that reveals the heart of God and the love of God that causes men to change their mind. When that light comes into the darkness, the revelation comes, you have a choice to believe or not believe. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You have a choice. Those who don't harden their heart but receive his word and believe his goodness. Believe that they're forgiven. Believe he is the son of God. Do you believe? Lord, told you, show me this man that I might believe on him. The blind man who now sees. And Jesus said, it is he who is speaking to you. I am he. I believe, Lord, I believe. You see it? The kingdom of heaven is within everyone's grasp by simple faith. The word goes forth of this goodness, of this work of this king who gave himself for us to take away our sin. He has accomplished it all. And that word goes forth, and no matter where you are and who you are, if you will but receive it, the light that is coming through to that from that word will cause the miracle to take place because you believe. The moment you believe, God counts you as being placed in Christ himself by the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, the scripture says, after you believe, you receive the Spirit. Now, unlike Calvinism that teaches, no, 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 you've got to be born of the Spirit first before you can believe. No, that is error. Calvinism, Calvinism teaches, Reformed theology teaches that you must be born again before you can believe, which means God chooses certain people to be born again, and they can believe, but the others that are not chosen will never be able to believe, they're destined to go to hell. That is error. The scripture is clear that if we, only after we believe do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Only after we believe, which means anybody can receive the Spirit, because anybody can believe. That's the good news. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Whosoever shall be called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He tasted death for every man. I tell you, it's a stronghold. Calvinism is a stronghold in the minds. Jesus died for every man. There is no limited atonement. And so what happens when the light comes in and a person receives that light and believes, the miracle takes place. God gives the gift to the Holy Spirit and raises that person from the dead spiritually by joining his life to our life. Now, how can God do that? How can a holy God join himself to us? It's because when you put your faith in Jesus, God sees you as having been crucified with Christ. That you passed through judgment on the cross. I had a, something happen to me when I was a, a one-year-old believer. I, was, I had no idea what it meant at the time because I was, just, I was still in legalism and didn't even know it. But we went to a Jesus festival a bunch of us from LSU, and we were driving back from the Jesus Festival, and we stopped at this church because one of the girls with us, she said, my mom's a Catholic, I gotta go to Mass, or she'll be upset. So we said, okay, we'll go. So we'll go. we found some Catholic church on the way back to LSU in Pensacola. The Jesus Festival was in Orlando. And we're driving back a bunch of us, and so we got this, we went to this Catholic church, and you know how Catholic churches have the, the crucifix in the back behind the altar with with a statue of Jesus on the cross. Most Catholic churches have a statue of Jesus on the cross. So we were there in the balcony, you know, at this mass for this, our sister who said, I need to do this for my mom. And said, yeah, no problem. So we're sitting there and I'm looking at the crucifix behind the altar and I looked up there and I looked up there and I saw myself on the cross with the same blue jeans I was wearing, the same shirt I had on, and my head like this, on the side like this. And I freaked out. And I was like, and I, I remember blinking my eyes, and looked, and it was still there. And there was me on the cross, in this Catholic church, on the, with my head like this, with the same shirt and blue jeans I had on. And then I got really scared, and my heart started racing, and I stood up. I was about to tell my friends, you know, what does this mean? What, why am I seeing this, you know? Because a young believer, I had no idea what it meant. And so I stood up, and when I stood up, it faded and went back to just the statue of Jesus on the cross. And then I sat back down, and I was sweating, heart beating fast, and I was like, what was that? And of course, I didn't know until many years later, the Holy Spirit was showing me, son, you were crucified when I was crucified. You died. When I died, you died. When I died. So when you and I believe, when we first believe on Jesus, what happens is God actually sees you as having gone through death and judgment already. Through Christ. Jesus said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. Saints, this is the great mystery of Christ. This is what could not have been preached in the days of Moses. This is the secret that was hidden in God that could not have been preached in the days of the law because there was no Christ. There was no sacrifice. There was no way for you to die to another. There was no way for you to be raised a new creation. There was no way. There was no way for you to be joined to God. There was no way. 
holy until Messiah, the Prince, when he would come, would he do it? It was a secret hidden in God that revealed until the proper time. Daniel 9, 26 says, when Messiah, the Prince, shall come, he shall make an end of sin. He shall finish the transgression. He shall make a reconciliation for all iniquity. And he shall bring in everlasting righteousness. He did it. He did it. He has made an end of sin. He has finished the transgression. What does that mean, finish the transgression? And by the way, every one of those verses in Daniel is quoted in Paul's letters. Hebrews says he was manifested to put away sin. Romans says where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul says that he has made reconciliation for iniquity. Everything in the prophecy of Daniel is written in the letters of the apostles. He has brought to us everlasting righteousness, even the righteousness of God as a gift. Messiah the Prince did it. It's accomplished. It's finished. And the apostles confirm it. For the foundation is in the writings of the prophets and the apostles. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone revealed in the prophets and explained by the apostles. It's all there. It's awesome. So when we first, when we believe, what happened? This is, the, this is the thing I'm going to share with the three lamps. What happened was, the Spirit touched your human spirit. And you were born of the Spirit. People describe it in different ways. Some people say, I felt a burden that off my shoulders. Some say, I just cried. I don't know why I was crying. Some just have this incredible joy. So, something happens, you know, when God comes into you. The spirit, there's peace, there's a peace sometimes. Sometimes there's just a hunger for the scripture. Sometimes it's just a, a, a love that fills you. Everybody's different. But when you first believed, the spirit comes in. And, and God said this, or Paul said this in Colossians, that God cut away the body of the flesh. The true spiritual circumcision is when God cuts away the body of your flesh. Because you have believed, and because you have received the Spirit of God, He now separates you from your sin. As far as the east is from the west, because He's going to put you, the real inner you, in a different dimension. In the Spirit. You see it? He can separate sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And the reason why the prophet said east from the west is because you never can find the east. If you go if you go east, you'll never find west because it's always east. If you go west, you'll never find east because it's always west. So you can never, east and west never joins. So God separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. This is a, this is a permanent fix. This is a spiritual circumcision by the hand of God. God has joined himself to you. The holy God, the, the holy God that we talked about last night that came down from Mount Sinai. It's the holy God, uncreated light. God, the ancient of days, came down on Sinai. And he even said, tell them to back off from the mountain and move the animals back because they'll die. He did that out of his, out of his mercy. He wasn't angry. He just, that's who I am. I'm the uncreated light. I'm the ancient of days. I'm God. Very God, I'm about to enter your realm. Natural men will behold the 
glory of God with their eyes. Natural men will hear with their eardrums the voice of God. It's just awesome. And as, as much glory as that old covenant had, Paul said there is no glory compared with the covenant that you have now, the new covenant of glory for this God has taken your sin away and has joined himself to yourself. In your being dwells the holy God now. So, the Lord so removed your sin. And that's why when Jesus breathed his last breath, he ripped the holy of holies in half from top to bottom. Signifying the end of the old covenant of law and signifying open access to God. It's not so much access for, for us to enter to, into him as much as it was letting him out to come to us. Remember the, when the first, when the spirit fell on Pentecost, the fire that appeared over their heads briefly, you know what that was? The presence of the Shekinah glory that was only behind the Holy of Holies was on every one of their heads. God allowed them to see it visibly so they could remember this. This was a Shekinah glory. And what happened was they were like drunk men with joy singing the praises of what God accomplished and the glory of the fire was lit on every one of their heads. And then suddenly it went inside them. And they were, and the fire disappeared off their heads because it was inside them. That's what happens every time you believe. He allowed that visual so you would see this is the Shekinah glory of God coming within. Oh. God did an extraordinary thing through his son. Did an extraordinary thing. He raised a new creation and separated your sin from you. The power of sin still dwells in your mortal body. This is the, one of the most neglected teachings of the apostles that you almost never hear in church. In every apostolic letter, there's a reference made to this, and you, you never hear this talk. The apostles were given the revelation by Jesus that the power of sin remains in the members of our body. When's the last time you heard that preached? It's all through the apostolic writings. The power of sin remains in the members of our body, in our flesh. That's why it says don't walk in the flesh. It's a reference to this power of sin in our body. But walk in the spirit. The reality you are now in it in Christ. Another world. You're in another world. You're in the kingdom now. The kingdom does not come like men think. It shall be within you, Jesus said. Righteousness, peace, joy in the spirit. The kingdom is within you now. For you have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. It's awesome. And that power of sin that still dwells in our mortal body trips us up sometimes. Scripture says that sin is stimulated by law. Another gross error in the Calvinistic teaching and the Reformed theology teaching, another gross error is that, yeah, the, 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 the three things of the, of the Old Covenant, the, the sacrifices and the priesthood, that's been done away with, but not the Ten Commandments. No, 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 we're still under the Ten Commandments. Are we really? 
You can't pick and choose what you want to keep from the, the covenant of Sinai and say, this is gone, but this is not gone. You don't, you don't have that, that, lead, that, that luxury to dictate to God what his covenant is all about. God said the covenant from Sinai is gone. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that it includes the Ten Commandments because he mentions the only law that was written on stones when he said in his letter, the letters written on stone, which were the Ten Commandments, are the letters of death. Where have you heard that preached? When is the last time you ever heard this? Paul said the law is the strength of sin. When's the last time you heard that preached? The law is the strength of sin. Romans 7 says the law stimulates the power of sin. Why? Because it activates sin, the deception of sin. Anytime you hear a law for the purpose of being righteous, if you hear a law, if I need to, if I, if I can just do this to be good enough, if I can just do this to be righteous enough, if you hear a law in order to be righteous, sin will be activated and you will think you can do it, you will fail miserably, and then you'll be condemned by your failure. It's the law of sin and death that works in the flesh. It still works in the believer too. So when you're free from the law in Christ, you don't go back to the law. Paul says, look, Paul said this, look, if, if as a Christian, I find myself walking after the flesh and sinning, does that mean Christ is the minister of sin? He goes, God forbid, of course not. The life of Christ does not produce sin. But, Paul says, but I do not go back under the law and make myself a transgressor. You see it? Just because a believer is sinning doesn't mean he needs more law. That's bad teaching. That's bad theology. When a believer is sinning, he doesn't need to go back under the law and make himself a transgressor. The law is the strength of sin. We shouldn't be talking about this 2,000 years later. The Apostle Paul spelled this out. We're still arguing whether we're under law and grace. It's pathetic. It really is pathetic. But the leaders of the church are still arguing whether we're under law or grace. When Paul was so clear. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed, the Apostle said. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. This is the good news that turned the world upside down. You mix it with law and it is powerless. You mix it with law, you make the crucifixion of Christ of none effects. You make the gospel of none effect when you mix it with law. But you give a pure gospel of grace. And you preach the forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. You release the power of God. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And the wisdom of God, of which the religious do not see. And the religious think it's wrong. And the religious think it's foolishness. But God begs to differ. God has done something so awesome, so extraordinary. It takes the revelation of the Spirit to see it. Because it's, it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. The natural mind says, hey, give me a law. I need the law. Keep me straight. That's what the natural man thinks. Even Christians still think that because you still have the power of sin in your flesh. The mind needs to be renewed to God's way, the new and living way. The mind must be renewed by the Spirit to see this new reality. That you have passed from death and into life. That your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And you don't have to name your sins every day to stay right with God. 
1 John 1, 9 does not teach that the believer is supposed to confess their sins every day so they can stay cleansed and stay forgiven. That is gross error. 1 John 1, 9 is, is between 1 John 1, 8 and 1 John 1, 10. And when you read 1 John 1, 8 and 1 John 1, 10 in context, John is talking about an unbeliever there who says, I, I don't have any sin and I've never sinned. And John describes that person. He says, you are Calling God a liar, because we're all sinners. The truth is not in you. The word is not in you. And you're deceived. That, my friend, is not a definition of a Christian. John is addressing the unbelievers of his day, the Gnostics. The Gnostics were in the church saying, we don't need a savior. We just need to have this higher knowledge, Gnostic, higher knowledge. We can, we can ascend the, the angelic with the angelic wisdom and have with this knowledge union with God, the Gnostics. John was addressing that that error right off the bat in his letter. He says, oh yeah, by the way, those, those who say they have no sin and have not sinned, the Gnostics, you are deceived. You're calling God a liar. The truth is not in you. The word is not in you. But we still have good news for you Gnostics. If you will confess, or as Wes said, say as God says, that you're a sinner. If you agree with God, you're a sinner. He is faithful and just. Just because he's already paid for it. To cleanse you. To forgive you of all your sins. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Saints, we have been hoodwinked. I'm telling you, we've been hoodwinked as a church. First John 1 John 1.9 is not the bar of soap for the Christian to be cleansed over and over and over again. The Christian is not cleansed of unrighteousness every day. And that's what that verse says. And that's the part of that verse they always leave out. They never mention unrighteousness because they know that's just, well, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't sound right because it's not right. That's the part they leave out in that verse. The scripture says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does not cleanse the Christian from all unrighteousness every day or every hour that you name your sins. That is heresy. And it's wrecking the body of Christ. And it's destroying the revelation that God wants to open up in, the, in us by the Holy Spirit. That you are blameless. God does not count your sin toward you. He counts his righteousness for you. Do you realize it's impossible to have the righteousness of God counted for you. And your sin counted against you at the same moment. It is impossible. And that is the gospel. We need bold, a bold proclamation of the gospel. I tell you what, this is a sword. You may not see it in the visible. This, these words are a sword that are, that's going forth and breaking ch chains, renewing minds. If you will believe it. If you want to stick with the tradition of men and stay in your tradition... And think that somehow you've got to name your sins every day to stay right with God. Good luck with that. How's it working for you? How's it working for you? How's it working for you? Are you growing in your awareness that Christ is your life? Are you growing in your awareness that you live in the heavens while you walk the earth? Are you growing in your awareness of a Father who loves you unconditionally? Are you growing in an, an, an incredible awareness of His peace and His joy? He said, I leave my peace with you. I leave my joy with you. Not as this world gives. How's it working for you living under the law, Christian? How's it working for you? 
We Christians are good at hiding our sin. We're hiding, hiding our, our weaknesses so we can be acceptable. You see, the true gospel releases you to be honest about your sins, to be honest about the flesh. We confess our faults one to another, that we can pray for each other and maybe healed because we're just as righteous as the next one. We're just as righteous as each other. We all struggle with the flesh in different ways. It's genius. I'm telling you, it's genius what God did. It brings the unity of the body of Christ. We're all just as righteous as the next one. No one is more righteous for each one has the righteousness of Christ. And no matter what struggle you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with, you can share it with another brother or sister who understands the true gospel. And you can, they can pray for you. We can confess our faults, our weaknesses with each other and be prayed for and be healed. The scripture says the church is to speak the truth one to another. Legalistic preachers say that means tell people their sin until they get rid of their sin. No, that's not what Ephesians says at all. Ephesians says confess your, the truth. Speak the truth one to another that they may be built up into the image of the Son of God. What is the truth? What is the reality? It is who God says you are. So what if, what if, you, had a, what if you had a group of people, a group of believers who saw, who really saw that he, was, that he did it, that the king really did it, that he is the door, that he has moved us from this realm to another realm, that we live in the kingdom now, the kingdom with us, within us. But what if we had a group of believers that really believed that they were righteous as Christ as a gift, not of their own effort, but as a gift, that no flesh can glory in his presence? What if you had a group of people that came together and encouraged each other in the truth, reminding each other of who they are in Christ? What if we would do what the apostles said do when he said you should acknowledge the good thing that is in each one of you by Christ Jesus? Are you acknowledging the good thing that is in your brother by Christ Jesus? What if we did that? There would be such a roar of praise and worship and entrance into the other realm that others looking in would say, my God, who are you people? And that is what Jesus died for. Not this manby, pamby, law, grace, mixture, confess your sin every day so you can stay in fellowship with God. Junk. It's bogus. It's bogus. And it, it demeans the finished work of Christ. By your traditions, you make void the word of Christ. By your traditions, you make void the word of Christ. But those who see rejoice. The poor in heart will be glad. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who see their bankruptcy in their spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, Pharisees, this prostitute will enter my kingdom before you. For she will see her need of me. Before you see your need of me. He didn't say they wouldn't enter in. He said she'd enter in before. Because the Pharisee would take a long time to see his need of Christ. Because it is self-righteousness. I'm telling you. It's a gospel worthy of God. No gospel that mixes law and grace is a gospel worthy of God. He made it very clear. I have released you from the law that you might be joined to the risen Christ. The scripture says that we were once married. Romans 7 says we were once married to the flesh. We were once in the flesh, in the flesh. As a natural being, we were in the flesh. Romans 7. And therefore under the law. 
under the jurisdiction of the law, in the flesh. We were all born spiritually dead, spiritually blind, under the jurisdiction of the law. That's why he had to be born of a woman in the fullness of time, under the law. He had to fulfill all things. He came not to destroy the law, he came to fulfill the law. To destroy the law would be to come and say, you know, I know you guys can't do this, these Ten Commandments, let's, let, let's reduce it to five. Let's reduce the law down. Let's lower the standard. Maybe more people can get in. That would be destroying the law. He did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law and take it away. The scripture says he nailed it to his cross and removed it. See, a lot of teaching out there says you've got a slate. And every time you commit a sin, God writes a sin on a slate. And you've got to confess that sin and ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and make you right again. And he'll wipe it off the slate. Next time you commit a sin, he writes it back on the slate. We even have preachers say, keep short accounts with God. When have you heard that? Keep short accounts with God, meaning don't let the slate get too full. Confess your sin so we can wipe out the slate. No, God got rid of the slate. He broke the slate. Behold, in this new covenant, I will remember and keep a record of their sins no more. truth that makes religious people mad and angry, but makes the humble glad. This is the same truth Paul preached that turns cities upside down because it is from God and God gets all the glory. As the Queen of Sheba told Solomon, the half has not been told. The half has not been told. God did something extraordinary through Jesus. Extraordinary. Think about it. You have already passed through death. Paul said it a thousand times. No, you're not. You already died. No, you're not. You already died. No, you're not. You already died. No, you're not. The old man is dead. The old man is not dying. You don't die gradually. You die. You're crucified. You're dead. You don't die gradually. What does happen gradually, and this is what people don't understand because they don't understand flesh and spirit. They don't understand the new creation. What happens gradually is the renewal of the mind. You are catching up the real you, soul and spirit. Another false teaching out there that God has God saved your spirit. He's working on your soul, and he's going to redeem your body one day. No. He saved your spirit and soul. He cut between the body and the inner man. See where God cut. It's very important where he cut for the spiritual circumcision. He cut between the physical body and the inner man. It's the invisible inner man that is new. It is the outer man that dies because of sin in the body. The inward man is alive because of righteousness. See it? So what happens? The progression is this. And we sing about it. We sing about it. Oh, he saved my soul. We sing about it. Then the preacher gets up there and says, well, not really. He's working on your soul, obviously, because you're not walking sinless. Bad theology. No, he saved our soul, just like he sang the song. He saved our soul. He who comes to him shall find, his soul shall find rest. Peter says he has purified your soul because you believe the gospel. Purified your soul. I'm telling you, you're really a new man. You really are. You keep the same personality that God created you to have, but you're a new man. Great is the mystery of your godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, 
He was vindicated by the spirit of resurrection. He was beheld by the messengers. He was proclaimed on in the world. He was believed on. He was taken up into glory. That is your godliness. And what part did you have in all of that? You simply believed. You believed. Ah, oh, saints. This gospel will rock the world again. But it will be with great opposition just in the days of Paul. Just in the days of, as in the days of Jesus, it will be opposed. The simplicity of what God had did in Christ, it's all simple, 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 but very profound. It changes everything. Everything. And so what is, what is the progressive part of the Christian life? As the mind is being renewed to who God is and who we are in Him. We find as our mind is renewed, our deeds begin to change. And we're putting on now the deeds of the new man. We're not putting on deeds to become a new man. We are putting on the deeds of the new man that already is. You see that? We're putting on the deeds of the new man that already is. It's being manifested from within. As Wes said, this is from within out. It's God. It's God. Only God can do this. That's why I tell the Pharisees, make the tree good. When do you call an orange tree an orange tree? Do you wait till it grows out of the ground and year after year you wait for the first orange and finally an orange appears and you say, now it's an orange tree? Or do you say, it was an orange tree in the seed? And once that seed is received, though it has small growth in the beginning, First, the stalk, the shuck, the corn. As Wes said, a man plants a seed. He looks out and sees it grow. He knows not how it grows, for the earth bringeth forth the fruit of herself. So is the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. You see, saints, you just get immersed in him. You let the spirit renew your mind. That you really are a creature of two worlds now as a believer. You live in two worlds at the same time. Just like Jesus did. I mean, he tried to explain this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him and he said, We know you're a teacher sent from God. Because nobody can do what you do unless you're sent from God. And he came at night because he was afraid that his, his uh, religious friends would be criticizing him for going to Jesus. And so he went at night to see Jesus. And he said, because it was a secret. He was a genuine secret. Nicodemus really wanted to know. And he said, tell, tell, tell us. I, I'm, I'm puzzled. How can you do these things? We know you're from God, but I don't understand. And then Jesus cut right to the chase. He said, Nicodemus, unless you're born from above, of the Spirit, you cannot see this invisible world. You cannot see the kingdom. You cannot see this world that I'm bringing to earth. Unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot see it. You must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes, how, how, how can a man enter his brother's womb and be born again? I, I don't understand. And Jesus said, I'll give you another earthly example. Besides the mother womb, besides the womb example, I'll give you another. Nicodemus, it's like this. It's like the wind. It's like the wind. You can't see it. You see the effects of it. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. So are those who are born in the Spirit. It's an invisible work of God. When they believe, a change happens and you see the effects of it. Nicodemus goes, oh, I don't know. I don't get this. And then Jesus really cut to the chase. Awesome verse. 
He said, Nicodemus, what if the Son of Man were to ascend right now in front of you into the heavens where I am right now? Nicodemus was brain freeze. Because that's the reality. Jesus lived in two worlds at the same time. He was in heaven, yet he walked the earth. When he brought the good news of the kingdom of heaven, he was telling people that you can get out of here. Don't worry. Don't, don't look to drugs for an escape. Don't look to sin for an escape. I am the door to another reality that you can live in right now within you. The kingdom shall be within you. A righteousness which is given as a gift so you don't feel bad about yourself. You don't feel like you're unworthy. A righteousness and a peace and a joy that is from another world, not from this world, within you. You see, the truth of the gospel is that you live in two worlds at the same time. No matter what tribulation is happening around you, in the world you will have trouble. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but you can be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. What does that mean? He has brought you to where he is. You sit with him now. He is with you now. You are where him in the heavenly realm and he is with you in the earthly realm. For I am low, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. Is this getting through? I tell you. See, it takes the Spirit to reveal this. If I can convince you of it, some other man's going to talk you out of it. Twice up here, the speakers have said, search these things out in the Scripture. And I'll say it the third time. You've got to search these things out in the scripture for yourself. If I can talk you into it, the next guy, probably some Calvinistic, Reformed theology, theologian, will try to talk you out of it. But you search the scriptures for yourself. And you see what the scriptures say. Like the noble Bereans who search the scriptures to see if these things be so. You need to see it for yourself by the spirit and in the scriptures. Don't let a man talk you into something so another man can talk you out of it. Search it for yourself and see. I know you hear the witness of the Spirit. I know the Spirit of God is speaking to you, but you need to see it in the Scripture yourself and study the Scripture and ask the Lord to show you these things. It's awesome. And then you can teach others also. You can teach others also and help others see the goodness of God. I tell you, saints, it's an amazing reality to know that you live in two worlds at the same time. It's the good news of the kingdom. It's what he came to bring to earth. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He, he fulfilled it. He did it through the spirit. By his death and through the spirit, we now live in that realm where he is. And that way, on earth, you bring him wherever you go. You bring heaven wherever you go. You bring the presence wherever you go. That's why there's no more holy temple and holy place. Israel's not the holy land. There's no holy temple anymore. Remember the woman asked him, the Samaritan woman? They said, she said, Jesus, the, the Jews say we're to worship in, in the mountain in Jerusalem, in that, in that temple. We Samaritans, which are half Jew and half Gentile, we worship here on this mountain where Moses gave the blessing and the cursing of the law on this mountain in Samaria. Which is correct, the mountain in Samaria or the mountain in Jerusalem? Which is the right mountain to worship in? And Jesus said, O woman, the hour is coming and now is. The true worshipers 
will not worship in either one of those mountains. No holy temples, no holy place on earth. For the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in the reality of which these things were just copies of the heavenly things and not the heavenly things themselves. Shadows, as Wes said, and not the actual substance. No more worshiping in a mountain, which is a picture of something high and lifted up. When you are high and lifted up in the spirit into the heavenly realm. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Those who worship him in the true realm of the spirit. For God is spirit. And his worshipers must be where he is. For God is spirit. And he seeks such to worship him in spirit. Next to him. With him. In him. And in the reality. And not the copies of the heavenly things. You see it? And, and, and I hear preachers take that verse, God wants us to worship in spirit and truth. And I hear some ridiculous message like, that means, you know, we need to have the power of the spirit. We also need to have the word, the truth. We need to study the scriptures too. So we need to, we need, God wants to have the word, the scriptures, and the power of the spirit. You know, that needs to be combined. We need to balance. We need to balance that. We need to balance that. The word, the word, the truth, the word, and the spirit. No. 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 Look at the context. The question was, where... Do we worship? Do we worship in this mountain or this mountain? Jesus said, neither. The place where you worship now is not a building. I can't stand it when I hear a preacher say, Lord, thank you that we're in your holy house, your holy temple. No, it's not holy. The building, it's a building of bricks and wood and stone. It's not holy. What is holy are the people. The people are the church. The people are the body of Christ. And the place we worship is now in a different dimension called the spirit and in the reality because we have passed from death and into life in Christ. And that is the truth that sets you free. Jesus said, if you follow me, if you keep listening to me, you'll, you'll, you'll come to know the truth. And the truth will make you free. This is the truth. And no eye had seen this, no ear had heard this, nor had it entered into any mind that God was going to actually bring me through death and judgment while I walk the earth and recreate me new, anew, and cause me to be, to move through a door and live in union with God in a realm called heaven while I walk the earth. Is that wild or what? Is that wild? That's the gospel. That's what turned the world upside down. This is what religion cannot stomach. Can't, they can't stomach it because it, it releases men to the control of God and not to men. Any, any talk of law keeps control of men over other men. Jesus said, release my people to, to me. We are to make disciples of Christ, not disciples of men. And the truth does that. The truth brings you right to him. He our head, we his body, all of us with different gifts and ministers, ministries in the body as we edify each other and build each other up and speak the truth one to another, reminding each other of who we are in him. And if we see a brother stumble and, and walk after the flesh, what do we do, Paul? Do we put him back under the law? Do we punish him? What do we do, Paul? Paul says, when you see a brother who's caught in a trap, a fleshly trap, only those among you who are spiritual go to him, please. No legalist. 
Nobody who has a mixture of law and grace. Only the spiritually minded go to him. And the spiritually minded are people that understand the truth of the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ and how that person who is stumbling in the flesh has also been raised in Christ, who's a believer and who is actually joined to Christ right now in his sin. Those are the spiritually minded. Those should go to him and encourage him. Restore him in the faith. Considering your own self, lest you also be tempted because you know that without Christ you'd be doing the same sin. Considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. In other words, you go with humility. You go with a spiritual understanding of the gospel and with humility. If you don't have a spiritual understanding of the gospel, you're probably pride, prideful anyway. Because it's the prideful that can, they, they don't get the spiritual real, realization of the gospel. So if you really see that it's all of Christ and not of me, you can be humble and say, look, without, without Christ, I'd be doing the same sin. I shared that with a brother one time who was in, in some kind of sin and was struggling. And I said, brother, look, next year this time I could be doing the same thing. So I'm here not to, and looking over you. I'm, I'm here to help you remember who you are and encourage you, man, because God's with you. He said it changed his life. By me simply saying, I could be doing the same thing next year, and I hope you'll come help me. Because we all have the flesh. We all have the flesh, and we're all learning how to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And as we grow and our mind is renewed, we find ourselves bearing more and more fruit. And God is magnified through us more and more. Jesus said some will bear 30-fold, some will bear 60-fold, some will bear 100-fold. He loves the 30-fold as much as he loves the 100-fold. But we put these standards up and say the 30-fold must not be saved. I mean, my God, 30-fold, what is that? You've got to be 100-fold to be saved. No. He's one of my trees. Yes. You are weak, Jesus said, but you have not denied my name. 30-fold. He is the Messiah who will not put out the smoking flax. He will not break, who will not throw out the bruised reed, the scripture says. This Messiah, that means if a candle is just barely smoking a candle, he will not just put it out and say it's worthless. He will blow on that candle and make it shine again. He will not take the bruised reed that was used as a writing instrument in that day and throw it away and get another reed. He will take the bruised reed and make it strong again. That's Messiah. He will carry the lambs in his arms. That's our God. David said, thy gentleness has made me great. Thy gentleness has made me great. That's our God. That's your God. That's your Father. That's your Lord. Well, let's, let's do this, the three lamps. We're going to bring the three lamps up here. Just briefly, and then we'll, we'll call it a, an end of this session. We'll have lunch, I guess, when we finish this. But um, I want to share some thoughts about how the new creation works through these three lamps. And I think it'll, it'll help explain some of the things that Jesus revealed to the Apostle Paul. Remember how, remember how Paul had that, that vision? He said, he said I, I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body. You know, of course, Paul refers to it as someone that happened to another man. We all pretty much know it's, it's, it's Paul. Paul didn't want to brag on himself. So he said, I, I knew a man once who, about 14 years ago that had an experience. And it was, it's Paul. But he's saying, because then, then he messed up on his pronouns. And he said, then I couldn't figure out if I was in the body. It's like he gave himself away. So, so Paul is talking about this experience he had, right? And he said, I can't remember if I was, I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body, but I had this experience with God, and I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I, I, I saw things I can't even articulate. I, 
I was removed from my body, or maybe I wasn't removed from my body. I couldn't tell if I really was or not, but, I, but, but God showed me it was like that, and I saw things I can't even describe. It was, it was awesome. God was solidifying the message to the Apostle Paul of the new creation and how it works in conjunction with the human body. How the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. He was solidifying the revelation of spiritual circumcision and the cutting away of the body and the flesh. And how the power of sin is in our members only now and not in us. As Paul said in Romans 7, sin, not in me, but sin in my body caused me to sin and make wrong decisions. Romans 7. And saints, by the way, you don't have two natures. You don't have two natures. You have one nature. We used to have a nature that was of the Adamic nature in sin. Now we have the nature of Christ. We have been made a partaker of the divine nature. Your nature now is divine. You have the divine nature of Christ himself because of your union with him. And the power of sin in your bodies is not a nature. That's not who you are. That's not your origin anymore for the old man died. And he's not dying gradually. When Paul talked about dying daily in that verse, in the context, he's talking about being persecuted. I die daily. I'm, I'm, I'm being given a cross of rejection daily because of this gospel. That's what Jesus meant when he says, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you're going to be rejected by men, by religious men. You're going to be rejected just like he was rejected. So in that sense, we die daily from men. But it's the new man who dies daily, not the old man. The old man's dead. The new, man is who, the new man is who you are. But the new man dies daily in the sense of rejection from this world. Death works in us through rejection, life in you, because the more pressure and persecution I get, the more life comes out of me, Paul said. You see it? So the die daily thing that Paul is referring to has nothing to do with your nature. It had to do with just living on earth in a fallen world that hates God and that hates you because you belong to God. Because in the context there, he says, I have the wild beast of Ephesus, and I've been persecuted and hunted in every city. I die daily. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the flesh. But we get those confused in our teaching because we don't see the new creation. We don't see we have a new heart. Three things, just real quick. Three things that I think if the church would get right, it would change the world. Three things. You've got to get, number one, 1 John 1, 9 right. You've got to stop teaching the body of Christ that they need to name their sins every day to stay right with God and get cleansed on a daily basis. That was the old covenant. For the sins under the old covenant were cleansed daily, but not so under the new covenant. For the sinners, having once been purged, should have no more consciousness of guilt. Hebrews. So the first thing the church has got to get right is this whole idea of teaching the believer that they have to constantly name their sins to get forgiven. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a, that it's a bad thing to, to tell God when you blow it. I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. When you blow it in the flesh, you tell God, God, that was really not you. I, I just, but you know what I do? I don't ask him to forgive me and get me back right with him. I just say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're not holding that sin against me because I've already died. Thank you that that's not, that's not being held on my account because of Christ, that you're holding, my, you're holding your righteousness for me and not my sin against me. But you can talk to him about anything. You can go to him and talk to him about anything. And say, I really blew it there. I know that's not you, Lord. Teach me. What did I do? What, what, how did I mess that up? And he'll tell you. He'll say, you try to do it yourself. You didn't depend on me. Because, saints, your divine nature, inherent in your divine nature, is the nature of Christ. Christ said this. He said, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Christ lived his life on earth in total dependence on God. 
Total dependence on the Father. He said, the works I do are not my works. The works of my Father who dwells within me. He said, the words I speak are not my words. The words of my Father who dwells within me. He said, I live by my Father. I can't do anything. Jesus said, I can do zero without my Father. And then he said this. He said, as I live by my Father, you now shall live by me. The divine nature you have is made to live in total dependence on God. It is natural to you. It is natural to you as a son of God, as a daughter of God, to live totally dependent on Him. Dependent on Him. It is, it's pleasurable to your spirit to look to Him for everything. You're made that way. And so when we get off on our, on our high horse and try to do stuff ourselves and have our own opinions about things, we usually screw it up. And that's how God comes and talks to us and says, daughter, son, I could have handled that. Depend on me. Let me lead you. Let me give you my strength. Let me give you my wisdom. You see? I'm telling you, it's genius. God's way is genius. It's awesome. It's awesome. You have the very nature of Christ, which is made to live dependent on God. And as we walk with a, a limp, leaning on our staff like Jacob, a picture of leaning on Christ, we'll, we'll experience the power of God in ways that we never dreamed possible. Because we'll grow in our awareness, our union with Him. No more guilt-ridden and guilt-conscious and shame and feeling unworthy. I was just we talking, I was talking to Carol last night, and Carol said that when she, growing up, she said, uh, Wes's mom, Carol, she said that, you know, I, I never I never asked God for much. Because I didn't think I was, you know, worthy of asking God. I would only asking for maybe some big things. I just don't ask God for much. And Jesus said, toward the end of his life, before he left, he said, ask. Heretofore, you haven't asked much. Ask. Start asking. He who asks receives. He who seeks finds. Who, he who knocks, it shall be open to him. See, it's a whole different relationship. When we feel unworthy, or we feel shamed, or we feel guilty, we don't want to go to God. We don't want to ask him because we're believing a lie. God says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace, throne of grace, to find help and mercy in time of need. The enemy wants to lie to you, keep you from the throne of grace, where you can find help and mercy in time of need. And when you really understand the gospel and who Jesus is and what he did, you run to him. David said, I'll run to God, my strong tower. You know how you fight the enemy? You run to God. You don't try to fight the enemy yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the scripture says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the first thing he says is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Come under his wings. Run to God. For not even the angels rebuke Lucifer directly. Don't try to fight him directly. Don't try to fight your flesh directly. Run to God. He who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And that river of living water will so overwhelm the enemy. He will not be able to stand it. Awesome. So I hope you were encouraged today. I tell you, it's, the half has not been told. Okay. Lord, I just pray that your words would go deep inside of us. I pray that your word would bear much fruit. 
Lord, help us see these things and help us grow in the reality of your world, the kingdom that is now within us by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. You say, I loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn you to myself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I pray they're encouraged, and I pray that we would teach others also and spread this word that many may see and experience the love of God, the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God, and be filled with the fullness of God. For you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us through Christ. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless this food now, Lord, that we're about to partake. Bless the fellowship between the, the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ who break bread together. In Jesus' name.